everybody. Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I am your host. Today is uh, Wednesday, June the 6th, getting closer and closer to actual football. Actually, we're getting closer to the end of the, 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 the dead, the actual dead period, but there, there is actual football happening. Some mini camps opening. We're going to talk about those and much more today. Friend of the program, friend of mine, Chris Chapasso. What's up, buddy? Well, how's it going? Doing well. You, uh, I suckered you in. Not only did I, uh, run late for the podcast and provide you a rundown mere, like three minutes before the podcast, but I suckered you into doing the entire podcast. So, uh, Nice job by you. Good job by me, all right? No, it's totally fine. I figured we were going to talk about rookie stuff with me being the draft guy, but I have my eye on the whole league like everyone else just in case there's any major news stories or anything that I need to get out there. So, yeah, I'm I'm totally fine jumping on to talk. and It's an honor. I mean, this is going from my ears while I'm mowing the lawn and then being oh, on the wow. podcast. Yeah. That's I, huge for me. I huge. do. I mow the lawn. I mow the lawn when I do. And sorry, I'm leaning into my camera. We're doing this on video. I've got. A, I haven't set up my mic stand that Jason Lockhart sent me yet. <laughs> I'm planning on doing that this afternoon if I can keep my son on an iPad for more than like four hours. But we'll see. Um, anyway, uh, let's dive into the mini camps: the Browns, Broncos, Lions, Dolphins, Pats, Giants, Jets, Bucks, and Redskins all started. Phase three of their offset off season workouts. Man, Eric, uh, old Debo, our producer, to help me out here. He said, put up, put down the rules. No live contact permitted, but teams can run seven on seven, nine on seven, and eleven on eleven drills. Um, first up, we'll dive into this. The Patriots, ahead of the start of their mini camp, have cut Austin Safarian Jenkins. That means Ben Watson and Matt Lacoste. Watson, of course, coming back from suspension. Um, Will be the primary tight ends there in New England, trying to replace Rob Gronkowski. What do you think their offense is going to look like this year, Chris? And and how much of an impact do you think a guy like Inkeel Harry, their first round pick, can make out of the gates? Well, I don't think it's going to be nearly as explosive, and and I don't know what the updated split stats are, but I remember as of like a year ago, Tom Brady is still Tom Brady regardless of who's out there. But with Rob Gronkowski on the field, and then when Rob Gronkowski's not on the field. He's a different quarterback. He's like all-time ridiculous, unstoppable against any defense with Gronk out there. Um, and then those games, obviously, over the past couple of seasons when Gronk's been hurt, he just hasn't been the same. They haven't been able to create those big plays down the seam. You know, the the big, the one big play in the Super Bowl was an awesome yeah. catch by Rob Gronkowski. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do I think the Patriots are going to screech to a halt on offense? No. But I think so much of what they do underneath to the running backs, to Edelman, was kind of predicated on the fact that Gronkowski was just this towering presence there. So Ben Watson suspended, Matt Lacoste, I mean, that, that's not even in the same realm of Rob Gronkowski and Austin Safarian Jenkins. <laughs> no. I think he's stepping away for personal injuries or, or personal, uh, personal reasons. reasons. Yeah. And remember, yeah. Safarian Jenkins, so, um, you know, he had, it, it, apparently the Patriots have informed that they're going to cut him after he comes back. Um, but Severian Jenkins, of course, uh, battled, uh, an alcohol problem, had a DUI in 2016, was cut by the Buccaneers who took him in the second round, landed with the Jets, got sober for over a year, um, played really well for the Jets in that single season, and then had signed to a two-year, $10 million deal with the Jaguars last offseason, lasted one year. It was helping other teammates and friends with, with their stuff off the field. So, I mean, I, that would be the obvious connection to make. I, you know, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to jump to conclusions on someone's personal life, but um presumably it would, you know, involve maybe you know, maybe he's got something else going on. At any rate, he needs to take care of his personal stuff first and look, that's good. 
Uh, but he, it means he's not going to be on the Patriots. And I think you're right. I, I've been saying this all sort of off season. I, I think, I think the Patriots are going to be a run heavy team. I think they're yeah. going to try and gr- ground and pound people until they can and just get, get like a one or two seed in the playoffs and then try to make a run and, and not worry about opening up the offense in a big way. So maybe Tom Brady has mass stats this year. I mean, that wouldn't be surprising. And, and it's Sony Michelle and Damien Harris who are monsters. Uh, yeah. In, oh, in, in terms, uh, no, um, in terms of Harry, the first round pick, um, I thought that was kind of a weird selection that he doesn't really fit with the, you know, separating smaller guy. So maybe that was kind of a way to replace Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, um, I think threat. Harry can be, yeah, he can be the red zone guy. He can be down the seam. I, I think he's better in the slot as one of those big slot receivers. The only concern I have with him that I saw at Arizona State beating press coverage at the line. I think he's going to get that a lot. Teams just couldn't press Gronk because he was so strong right. and he was good with his releases. Harry is a little bit raw in that respect. He could, you know, have a 20 or 30 catch season with five or six touchdowns, but he's not going to be able to create, you know, consistently down the field like Gronk did. Uh, moving along to the Cleveland Browns where Duke Johnson, as we're about to hear, courtesy of Mary Kay Cabot, uh, would like a trade put on the trade block kind of see what the team can get and I mean at the end of the day I understand the nature of the business I understand you know uh his job well John Dorsey's job is to do what's best for the team and the organization uh and, and again if that's getting rid of me for a bigger piece and a better piece then I'm okay with it uh like I said before my trade request was to meet them at a middle ground uh, I was put on trade block a month before I requested the trade so that's all it is so what so Duke is actively saying that he wants to be traded. He is not, this is not, he's not messing around. He's saying, like, I want to be traded. Get me out of there. Um, you know, Chris, I, I'm not surprised by this because they, you know, like the offense in Cleveland is now so loaded in theory where you have Baker Mayfield with, you know, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt's going to be coming back. I mean, Duke Johnson's at the point where he would potentially get phased out. Um, and, and, you know, as he, as he, you know, he got a decent contract. So, I mean, it's a little surprising, I guess, but, uh, he wants to play somewhere else, somewhere where he gets touches. I guess he doesn't think he's going to be a big part of this offense. Yeah. It's weird because like, am I forgetting a running back on the roster? Like they have Nick Chubb who, you know, came on really strong as a rookie. I think he can be a, a, a star in the league, but Kareem Hunt is suspended and every team uses two, three, four running backs. And Duke Johnson has already carved out his role in the NFL as that receiving back, whether you want to call him a third down back or, or whatever. I think wherever he goes, the team that he gets traded to is going to use him in the exact same way. Um, yes, there's a lot more mouths to feed in terms of the passing game. Um, but I think Duke Johnson, it's, it's weird to hear a, a player come out and just say, I want to be traded. We don't see that a lot. Um, I think he's in a in a good situation in Cleveland because if he's playing well, if Nick Chubb's playing well, who says that Kareem Hunt comes back from his suspension and is all of a sudden just the lead back that's stealing touches from Matt? I don't think that's necessarily uh, going to be the case. Yeah, uh, it could also be a situation where Duke Johnson wants to be traded sooner than later, knows that uh, next year – no, look, he's not getting cut this year because his, his dead cap hit would be 4.05 million and his, his cap hit right now is 3.05 million. Although I guess they could do a, a post June one release, um, and ended up saving $500,000 if they were desperate to do it. But he's a much more likely trade candidate given his small salary. He does know he's probably going to be cut after this offseason, um, given that he's only owed 
like they can save three point three million dollars in cap space, and if they don't use him and then they cut him, he's going to have a much harder time finding a decent market. So that's probably why you you know you'd prefer to get out there and get paid. Does it? Are you worried uh, at all about uh, Odell Beckham and uh, Le'Veon Bell? We mentioned the Jets as well, who are uh, who are you know skipped voluntary OTAs. Where does your where's your uh, your uh, hot take meter on OTAs stand? Um, yeah, I don't put too much into him. Uh, I think Odell Beckham will be fine. He's one of the best athletes in the world. Le'Veon Bell, though, I mean, not playing a whole season. I mean, you hear veterans after they retire or even when they're in the league that you can condition, you can run on the beach in Miami, you can train with these, you know, off-season trainers, but nothing really, like they always say, nothing ever really, you know, compares to just the, the bumps and bruises and the conditioning of an NFL season. That's probably more so true with a running back. So Le'Veon Bell... Maybe, and there's been rumors about, you know, does his weight kind of balloon a little bit each offseason? So if there was a meter, I would be a little bit more concerned about Le'Veon Bell. But Odell Beckham, I think, we're not even going to be thinking about this in September. Yeah. Um, it, it all comes – like, if he comes in and the Browns are good and he plays well and he's not demanding a new contract, it's not a thing. And I think that's that's what it ultimately comes down to. Is he going to – and I, I would guess that John Dorsey – in the same way that he did with Jarvis Landry, communicated like, hey, look, you know, I know that the Giants said that they, you know, we're going to take care of you once you showed up and did all that stuff. But in all seriousness, if you want to, if you want to get a new deal, you can't be, you can't be holding out on me because it'll make me look bad. It'll make everybody get mad at me. Um, and, you know, for making this trade. So I would guess that he'll say, look, show up. Let's get it. Let's get this storyline out of the way. We'll take care of your contract at some point. And if Odell Beckham balls out, he'll be, he'll be the top paid receiver in the NFL again. On, uh, Le'Veon Bell, Adam Gay said, we'll be smart just because he hasn't been here. I know he's been working out. I'm not really worried about him getting in shit, being in shape. It's more just kind of football, getting back to that, getting used to terminology, kind of what we're doing. Really, this is going to be big for him to get used to the individual route we're going to be doing on the field. Him kind of get blah, blah, blah. Adam Gase is saying a bunch of nothing, as Adam Gase uh, often does. I, th- I think maybe there's more to this. Not more to it, but like there's more attention paid to it because it's the Jets and because they've had a really weird offseason. Of course, they still don't have a GM. This is a bizarre time not to have a GM. Adam Gay said he wasn't worried about the timing of it. Um, I understand that. I would want to have a GM before you go away for the offseason. And it, like, I would want to have a GM in place before I was coming back for training camp. You know what I mean? Cause that's when you can yeah. lose valuable opportunities to, to land veterans. For sure. And, and the one thing that's been the weirdest to me about, um, this whole Jets no GM situation that a lot of people have pointed out that right after the draft is when a lot of teams, you know, cut their scouts or I guess fire their scouts, um, you know, fire GMs. And I know one, a, a prime example that, you know, only happened two years ago in Buffalo, Doug Whaley got fired right after the 2017 yeah. draft. But during that entire draft process, it was like the Bills, their, their social media team, their PR team, this is Sean McDermott's ship. You know, he's making the decisions. He's the free agent guy. And we kind of got the opposite of that from the Jets, that Adam Gase was moving out of the draft room, that he wasn't involved. How involved was he in free agency in the draft? And then two weeks after the draft to fire the GM that was so integral in all of those choices. That's a real head scratcher for me. Yeah, it's a – I love what the Jets have in terms of, all, like, their football talent, like, at least in terms of a 2019 – roster and Sam Darnold's long-term future and their ability to be good and actually fit with what Adam Gase does. But the drama is a red flag. Like, it's a big red flag. If, I mean, you're biased, but who wins more games this year, Bills or Jets? 
It's pretty close. I know the Bills over under was six and a half. It's up or to seven, seven now, I think. It's yeah. up to seven. Jets is, uh, seven and a half. Plus. I think the Bills have a little bit better of a defense, so I'll, I'll go with the Bills. Okay. All right. Is that bias? Is, is that a biased pick or is that a? No, I mean, I mean, they, uh, split last year and, um, I mean, I think they're pretty similar teams. Young quarterbacks were kind of up and down last year. Darnold was a little better than Allen in general. Sure. Neither receiver group is amazing. They have good running back, offensive line. Bills are kind of rebuilding. Jets are kind of, eh, but I think I'd give, the, I'd give the Bills, I'd give the Bills the edge on the offensive line right now, actually. Yeah, no, definitely, but there's just a lot of new pieces. Oh, and I for think sure. yeah. defense-wise, even with C.J. Mosley in New York, um, I think um, the Bills' defense is, is like just a little bit of a step ahead of where the Jets are. So pretty close in terms of being the second-best team in the AFC East, but I would say the Bills by just a little bit at this point. The Detroit Lions are dealing with a pair of players who are skipping out on minicamp as well. Darius Slay and Damian, uh, Damian, Damian, Damian Snacks Harrison, uh, both skipping out because they want new contracts. Damian Harrison's been active on social media. He's basically like, I don't care what you think that I'm skipping. Like, I, like, I mean, he's basically been very snacks about it. And, and if he, you know, if, I mean, he wants a new deal. Uh, notable, um, I think it's from, uh, I don't know where the type is from, but, but this is a note dropped in here in my rundown. Bob Quinn, I might be ESPN. Bob Quinn has never extended a player or given him a new contract with two years remaining on his deal. Slay's 30 years old. Harrison, uh, Harrison will be 32 when his deal expires. Slay will be 30 when his deal expires. Um, and both guys have two years left. Do you worry? Would you pay those guys if you're Detroit or would you just sort of let them play chicken on a team that Maybe might not be very good. Yeah, I wouldn't pay either of them. I mean, obviously Slay because he's younger and he plays a more valuable position. I mean, Snacks has been this awesome throwback player for so long that he's just like by far the best run-stopping interior defense alignment in the league. But he doesn't really give you any pass rush. And and as we're going to see probably this year, there's going to be more passing records set in terms of not just the stats and the yardage and the touchdowns, but how often teams pass, the percentage. So at his age, at how niche he is, um, he it's not like he's making no money. He's not on the vet minimum right now. So I wouldn't pay him. Slay's still good. Um, but actually, he's making the most money of any cornerback in 2019. $15.9 million is his cap hit, over $12 million in salary. So he's not really in a position to say, hey, look, I'm – I'm way down the the cornerback ranks in terms of my finances. He's still one of the highest paid corners in the league, and he's a good corner. Maybe it's sometimes a great corner. Is he an elite, you know, number one or number two corner in the league? Probably not. So if I'm Bob Quinn, I, I stay with that trend, and I don't extend either of those two. Yeah, if they don't have Damon Harrison and Darius Slay, they are screwed. <laughs> I mean, they're going to have them. They're going to get there eventually, but I mean, like. If they don't have their best run stopper and their best cornerback, like the, the I, surely these two guys are communicating and being like, "Hey, like we know they're screwed if they don't have us." Um, I, I'm with you though. I don't know if you can do that as a uh, as a as a rebuild. Um, same sort of situation in the with the Redskins. Josh Norman, Adrian Peterson did show up for minicamp, but not there. Trent Williams, who uh, according to Jay Gruden. 
acknowledged that it was, uh, this is via Ian, or Tom Pelissero, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, excuse me, um, acknowledged he's not here and it's about, quote, the business side of football, which means that Trent Williams also wants a new contract. If you're the Redskins, do you have a choice but to give him more money? He is a very good player. He signed a you know, five-year, $68 million deal. He has two years left on it. I mean, he's getting paid an $11 million base salary, basically getting 14 million this year. I, I mean, I don't know that, you know, he is, he's 31. This is a weird spot for them because they, they can't lose their starting left tackle for a lengthy period of time if they want to get better and they want to not get fired. It's a tough spot for Jay Gruden. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's too that Trent Williams got injured last year. If, if he was coming off his normal season, 100% healthy, even at 31, I mean, he seems, to me, he just seems like one of those, left tackles who can like play like Jason Peters until he's like 37 and still be good. He's so athletic. He's so strong. The injury might leave you to be a little bit skeptical. Um, And again, he's not paid chump change. I mean, he had $30 million fully guaranteed at signing um, with that deal. So that's still one of the highest amounts that we've seen at the tackle spot. Um, So, but you're right. They they don't have that viable, oh, hey, we drafted this guy in the first round or second round that could step in like the Eagles have, like some other teams have. Um, So I, I don't know if he's going to ultimately hold out. Most players don't. I mean, obviously, maybe last year with what happened with Le'Veon Bell, it kind of set the precedent for some of these stars. But if you are the Redskins, if you're Jay Gruden, you're begging Bruce Allen, we need this guy. We cannot start our season, um, especially with Dwayne Haskins and, and Case Keenum there, without our elite left tackle in Trent Williams. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things, too, where if you're Trent Williams, you are probably fully aware that after this year, you, he has two years left on his deal, right, 2019 and 2020. In 2020, he has a $14.655 million cap hit. The Redskins could save uh, more than $12 million in cap space by cutting him. So if this is a thing where... Trent Williams gets hurt next year, struggles to stay on the field. The Redskins go win three games. You know, maybe you reboot, you fire Jay Gruden, you fire Bruce Allen, you reboot, you know, with your 32 year old tackle, you cut him, you save $12 million to try and free it up. And so he knows he might be an injured left tackle at 32 hitting the free agent market. So he's trying to get money now instead of having to worry about it down the road. It's, it's, it's understandable from his perspective. Um, it's again, it's a weird spot because Dan Snyder doesn't want to pay him more money, but he's got to protect Dwayne Haskins or Case Keenum or Colt McCoy or whoever the hell they're going to put out a quarterback. Jay Gruden desperately needs him out there because Jay Gruden gets fired if they don't make the playoffs, as Jay Gruden has acknowledged. Man, it's a weird spot. Uh, Roger Goodell, elsewhere in the news, Roger Goodell um, said that, uh, quote, I feel what we should be doing with the preseason, is what he's talking about, is always to the highest quality, and I'm not sure preseason games meet that level right now. I'm not sure, talking with the coaches, that four preseason games is necessary anymore to get ready for a season to evaluate players, develop players. There are other ways of doing that, and we've had a lot of discussions about that. Uh, how many games did you like to see, Chris Trapasso, uh, in the preseason? Two. And I think that's kind of the consensus. That's kind of what Roger Goodell's hinting at. I don't know if it's the quality of the games. I think the NFL, especially Roger Goodell, is looking at it, how much money they're making, and and that they're probably like, hey, if these were two regular season games, we would make way more money than we do now. Whether you have to add a second bye week, expand the rosters, I think those would be the two easiest changes. Um, But, I mean, we get excited for the preseason every year, and then by, like, the end of the second game, or, or or, like, the whole slate of games, we're like, man, bring on the regular season and after this new CBA and there's maybe there's going to be um you know 
a work stoppage or a strike, whatever sides wants to call it, um, whichever term, I think will come out of that with an 18-game schedule, two preseason games, and those two major fixes of two bye weeks and expanded rosters way beyond 53 and 46 on the active day. Um, I don't think I mentioned this in yesterday's show. If I did, apologize. Hit the fast forward button or something. But um, Todd Gurley, I might have been, I might have mentioned this anyway. I want to get somebody else's opinion. Todd Gurley could potentially actually. You know what? We're gonna do. We're gonna take a break and then we'll come back and talk about because it, it involves a rookie who just got drafted who might. Let's see. That's what we call a tease. A very poor tease. Uh, so we're gonna take a quick break and Chris Trapasso will come back and tell us whether. Todd Gurley can be replaced by a rookie and who some good and bad fits are around the NFL. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. All right, so I mentioned Todd Gurley. This is uh, Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott. God, God, I'm all over the place today. Sean, I'm thinking Bills. That's right. It's your fault. Um, (laughs) Sean McVay said... Gurley was asked, Sean McVay was asked Monday about reports that Gurley wanted to play at a lower weight and said, I want him to feel most comfortable. That's the most important thing. What he feels he can most function at being the all purpose back he's been. And that's where we're at. So he says, I'd rather play five, 10 pounds lighter. And he's going to feel better about that. Then that's exactly what we'll do. He's earned the right to be able to tell us how he's feeling with the give and take. As long as he's got a why, which I know he does, we're always receptive to those things. Now that's all fine and well. But Ian Rappaport of NFL Media reported the days of Todd Gurley just being the straight up every down bell cow are probably over just based on his knee, his age, position, the amount of carries he's had. That is, uh, that's not great news for, uh, for Todd Gurley or fantasy owners. I mean, or anybody who likes to watch Todd Gurley run. And I believe it was according to Adam Schefter on, I don't think it was his podcast. It was ESPN's Adam Schefter, somebody else's podcast. But he said that Sean McVay loves Daryl Henderson, the Memphis running back they took in the third round of the 2019 NFL draft, and may even see him as the best offensive skill guy in the entire draft. A, Chris, what are your thoughts on on Daryl Henderson? And B, how do you see this uh, whole Rams backfield shaking out? 
I compared Henderson to Delvin Cook wow. coming into the draft. And they and it wasn't just the longer hair that they were smaller packs. They just both didn't necessarily crush their combine workouts, but they play at a different speed. When you see them in the open field, they're running by every cornerback, every safety. Henderson averaged almost nine yards a carry over the his human, last the human, the human first down. Yeah, three hundred and forty-four carries his last two years combined at Memphis, eight point nine yards per carry both seasons. Um, he's not someone that's super shifty. He's not going to make five guys miss. But in Sean McDermott's you know zone blocking scheme, make that one cut and go. So I think we saw last year later in the season and in the playoffs when Todd Gurley went down, C.J. Anderson weighed like two hundred and fifty pounds, and he came in there. He had good vision and he was a pretty efficient runner. And I think landing with Sean McVay, that he, better than any other coach that, that, that we've been able to track so far, understands when to run against light boxes. Todd Gurley only ran against eight or more boxes, or eight or more men in the box, 8.2% of the time last year. That was the third lowest percentage in the league. So if you're a running back, you want to be on the Rams because you're yeah. going to see six, five, six, seven guys inside the box. Um, do I think that Todd Gurley is just totally phased out of the offense, is going to get five, ten carries? I'll believe that when I see it. He's probably not going to be the first pick in a lot of fantasy drafts anymore. But Henderson could really be kind of like he was at Memphis. You know, 11 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. Seven carries for 50 yards and a touchdown. He can be that home run hitter, low volume but high efficiency. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that – I know that uh, on Fantasy Football Today, which you can watch at noon – um, as they're unveiling their top 150, I guess they're doing all off season. Um, I, Jamie and Jamie Eisenberg, who's on the show and he, you know, on Monday and Heath Richard, Heath Richard, Heath Cummings <laughs> and Dave Richard all point out that, um, you know, they think it's going to be like 15 to 16 touches for, for Gurley total. And that's, you know, maybe it, maybe there's going to be more. Maybe this is all, uh, a, a, a long con or a ruse or something like that, but it, it does feel like they were just saying, all right, Gurley can't be our 30 touch a game guy. You know what's so weird is that Gurley's had over 300 touches the last three seasons. He's still not even 25 years old. He's 24. I know, I know. I've got so he's not like this 28 year old where you're like, oh, he's past his prime. He's had some injuries, but we've seen running backs have knee and ankle injuries and come back and be totally fine late into their 20s and even into their 30s for some of these better backs. So that's why I don't think it's like Gurley's just going to be this fantasy non-entity whatsoever. But Henderson does have the juice to kind of steal some carries as the season progresses, I think. Well, and the problem, too, is that so Gurley's cap hit is $9.2 million this year, and his dead cap number would be $34.85 million. So he's uncuttable <laughs> this year. Next year, 17.25 cap hit. 25.65 dead cap, also uncuttable. They could potentially, they could cut him in t before 2021. They'd only really save $5 million. I mean, at this rate, you would almost expect them to cut him, um, after 2021 when they could save exactly $10 million against the cap. And then there's no dead cap hit in that 2023, uh, deal, year of his deal. So I, I would expect that he sees, I mean, look, good for Todd Gurley. He's got three more years of his contract that he's going to get paid on because the Rams maybe maybe two, but he is definitely getting paid two more years of his contract because the Rams just can't cut him and need all that cash. Yeah, I mean, what do you do when you're this early round running back and they they throw you a, or they give you a ton of touches? Then you're the team and you give them this huge deal like Zeke Elliott. Like yeah. everyone's like, oh, they're definitely going to lock him up. 
why? I mean, if in terms of team building, is for as good as uh, Zeke Elliott was, he's one of my favorite running backs I've ever scouted. He and Saquon Barkley were like one A and one B in yep. terms of how good they were. But what? Do you, like, it's just not financially the right move. And a year ago, no one would have thought that Todd Gurley, like that Will Brinson, would be talking about when the Rams are going to get rid of <laughs> Todd Gurley. Signs this monster deal, and it's like, oh, it's probably not going to be the best in 2020, 2021, and we're kind of seeing that come to fruition now. It's crazy, and it, it really hampers your salary cap space, too. I mean, just in terms of how you want to build out that team, because you could have just said, hey, Todd, we're not paying you. Mm-hmm. We'll franchise tag you if you want to hold out, whatever. Draft Daryl Henderson and run with him and, and Malcolm Brown. Or Malcolm, you know, is it Malcolm Brown? Is it Malcolm Brown? Brown, yeah, yeah Brown, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but look, like you can find running backs anywhere, and – so if you drafted, they didn't draft it. Les Snead drafted him, but it was with Jeff Fisher. It wasn't with Sean McVay. Gurley's a special talent. Don't get me wrong, but he tore his ACL in college, and clearly there's been some degenerative stuff that's going on there. And you have to wonder just about the long term viability. Maybe he's best to sit out half a year or, or take you know lose some weight and and take half the carries. Maybe it won't matter for the Rams. Maybe they'll still be awesome, but it, it is certainly um, a problem for fantasy owners. Not that not that it's as important. Uh, all right, let's talk about. So a good fit then. Daryl Henderson, a great fit with uh, awesome fit. with the awesome Rams. Fit. What are some other good fits you like from uh, from the draft? Could be first well, round. Did you accuse me um, of being biased? I'll say Ed Oliver with the Bills. I mean, oh, you saw great, great in call. Carolina with Kawan Short, Sean McDermott, just that penetrating three technique. They lost Kyle Williams. The other three defensive tackles: Starla Tulele, Harrison Phillips, and Jordan Phillips. All big, like nose tackle types. That without Kyle Williams next to them, we're not going to generate that much pass rush. So to not only get my number two overall player at number nine, wow. which I thought was a great uh, value pick, to get a perfect fit and what exactly what they needed, um, I really liked Ed Oliver landing in Buffalo. Uh, I know I agree with you completely. I think look, if the Bills weren't getting hyped up a little bit, like I know, um, is it real? Mike Robinson picked him to. Win the AFC East. I mean, Pete Briscoe said they'd win the AFC East in 2020 on this podcast. Mike Robinson won up them and said this year they're going to win the AFC East. What, what percent as a Bills fan, you can, you can discard your object, objectivity for one, for, for right now. What percent chance would you give the Bills of winning the AFC East this year? Uh, 20%. That's pretty, 20%. that's pretty high. Really? You think that's how, oh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess because it's been a lot for the Patriots forever. I've just seen so many Bills Patriots games where like, the Bills hang in, and then they literally always find a way to have a holding call on a touchdown in the end, or Tom Brady leads a two-minute drive. So the Patriots, to me, are, are still, even without Gronk and, and Brady at his age, are still coming off a Super Bowl win. They're yeah. still the odd, like way odds-on favorites, 15 to 20% chance the Bills win the AFC East, All I right. think. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um, what other good fits do you like uh, around that, that you've noticed in terms of rookies landing in good spots? Hmm. I think Nick Bosa makes sense in that I I like the fact when a rookie edge rusher doesn't have to come in and be that number one edge rusher right away. Bradley Chubb last year with Von Miller, I mean, he had a great rookie season because mm. he wasn't facing the team's left tackle. They were, you know, game planning to stop Von Miller and D Ford's there. DeForest Buckner is one of the best and most underrated interior rushers. So I, it's kind of like an obvious pick because everyone loved Nick Bosa. He was my top player in the draft. But where he landed in San Francisco, that he's like might even be like the third best pass rusher right away. Mm. He can be on the field a lot and uh, won't have to draw so much attention. And then all of a sudden we're going to say, "Wow, Nick Bosa had 12 sacks this year." We didn't even know. That's a, that's a good no. It's a good call. Hey, um, maybe a good pick for defensive rookie of the year. Maybe too. I don't know if it'd be obvious or not. Uh, what about some bad fits? For the rookies, 
Uh, yeah. Give me, give, me a, give me a bad fit for a rookie. Greedy Williams in Cleveland with the Browns. I mean, everyone was like, why isn't he in the first round? He was my number one corner. Just watching him in LSU, he just erased people. And, man, he was so long, so fluid, really physical, impressed man. That Ole Miss game, DK Metcalf, I mean, that was kind of an eye-opener for me that, yes, Ole Miss, their receivers were running about two routes a game, but Greedy Williams just erased DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown in that game um, until it kind of got out of hand. Then he goes to the Browns with Steve Wilkes as a defensive coordinator. Um, last year in Arizona, they ran zone 55% of the time, the third highest in the NFL. Man, only 25% of the time. There's some mixed coverages sure. um, kind of accounted for the rest of that. And they have Denzel Ward, who if they do some mixed coverage, he's a press man corner, so he's going to get those press man reps on the other side. And they're going to ask Greedy Williams, who wants to be in your face um, and kind of beating you up in those first, first five yards, that all of a sudden he's having to sink in zone and read, you know, wide receivers coming across the field. That's not his game. That's, I mean, I think he can do it. He's a great athlete. He had, you know, a productive career in the two years at LSU, but it's just a bad fit. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, you remember Patrick Peterson famously, I mean, wanted to get traded because he was, he, he, you know, he's also an LSU guy, a press man guy who, wants to be the alpha cornerback and he played that Steve Wilkes system and there's a promise to you know, let him do more stuff because of this new system and it ended up just, he was just miserable because he couldn't follow the number one guy around. Uh, well, who else is a bad fit for you in terms of these rookies? Byron Murphy in Arizona, the first <laughs> pick of the second round. I think they should have flipped like Byron Murphy should have got drafted by the Browns and Greedy <laughs> Williams should have got drafted by the Cardinals because Vance Joseph, the Cardinals new defensive coordinator is I mean, he said it in multiple radio interviews. We want to play press man on the outside. We have Patrick Peterson. We're, we're going to try to suffocate the receivers. And Byron Murphy's under 5'11", 180 or so pounds, um, and was so good in zone. That's where he had 13 pass breakups and four picks last year. Jeez. So many of those plays were just him watching the quarterback and driving on underneath routes, on digs, and he's not going to be asked to do that that much. They ran zone 50 or they ran man 55% of the time in Denver last year with Vance Joseph only 35% in zone Byron Murphy's just going to have to learn new skills and then Rashawn Gary in Green Bay he's playing behind the two of the exact same guys in Sedarius Smith and Preston Smith they're veterans they're established they're making a lot of money he's pretty raw as a pass rusher he might need shoulder surgery I mean what about that yeah and and Kyler Fackrell had ten and a half sacks last year. I looked that up. I was like, did not know that. I just did not realize. <laughs> so there's a bunch of edge rushers who are kind of hybrid guys in front of him. He might have shoulder surgery, and he's raw as a pass rusher. So the scheme I think worked with Mike Patton. But you're the number twelve overall pick in the draft, and you're like fourth or fifth on the depth chart as a rookie. That's tough. And and again, like you might not play. I mean, this happened, we saw this happen with Shaq Lawson and Buffalo, right? Where mm-hmm. he had that, the same, uh, the labrum situation, had to get surgery, didn't play, uh, much at all his rookie year. And, and it washes out, you know, when you're taking that high, it, you know, it, it magnifies the pressure on you. It washes out the season. And all of a sudden you're in a, you're in a world of pain when you're the, yeah. the, the Packers, excuse me. And then with, with, uh, Preston Smith and with, um, the other Smith, they're th- going to be on the Packers through at least 2021. And again, teams like to play those players that are paid a lot of money that they signed in free agency. The new GM signed them, so you don't have to worry about that. Are we going to be looking into year two and then year three where it's like, oh, he's still like 
the number three or number four edge rusher in Green Bay. Yeah, he's had some good moments, but number 12 overall pick. I just don't know at this point how he's going to ultimately live up to where he was uh, picked in the draft. Mm, indeed. All right, uh, real quickly, just to add this, um, from the, the earlier discussion about Duke Johnson, Baker Mayfield was asked about Duke Johnson's trade request and said, you're either on this train or you're not. And Freddie Kitchens, uh, per Aditi Kinkobala of the NFL Network, was asked about uh, Duke Johnson's. He said, I'm going to use my, my best Freddie Kitchens voice. He wants to be traded. I want to win the lottery. It doesn't matter. He's under contract. He's a Cleveland Brown. He's going to be used to the best of the ability of what benefits the team. I don't know if that last thing. Made that was sense. good. That was good. Um, I was too caught up in my, uh, I, in my, uh, in my Freddie Kitchen depression. But the point is, is that no one, Freddie Kitchen to Baker Mayfield, not happy about Duke Johnson's trade request. All right. That'll do it for this show. Chris Trapasso, it was a blast. We'll do it again soon. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chopping it up and breaking it down, buddy. Oh, follow him. Follow him at, uh, Chris Trapasso. Well, it is Chris Trapasso on Twitter, right? Yes. Yes, okay. Um, I don't, I, uh, yeah, I assume so. Your Travasa is like Brinson. There's not enough of us out there. Here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't need to do like the real Christian Pass or anything like yeah, don't, that. Don't ever do that. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, read his work on CBSSports.com. Follow him on Twitter at Christian Pass. Thanks, pal. All right, well, thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.